0: So so this morning we're we're starting a new series looking at the book of 1 John, the first epistle of John. Uh, And I'm I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to exploring this book. To tell you the truth, uh, I've not preached much on 1 John. It's one of those books that somehow uh, I've never ended up preaching on on much. And I've certainly not been part of a series uh, working systematically through Uh, through the whole book so I think it's gonna be a lot of fun I'm looking forward to it uh, as we unpack the wonders that we are hopefully about to discover and our theme as you see from the slide there for the series is is love one another which you'll find coming out uh, a number of times as the as the letter uh, works its way through but just in a way a bit of a background just let you know that there are five books in the New Testament that are credited to John. There is the Gospel of John. There are three letters of John, one, two, and three John. Two and three John are actually very short. Uh, and there is the Revelation of John, the book of Revelation that, that brings the Bible to its close. And those of you who are familiar with the, with the Gospels in particular will know that John's Gospel is actually very different to the other three Gospels, to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke actually have lots of similar material, lots of stories that are repeated. Scholars uh, debate whether Matthew and Luke drew a lot of their material from, sorry, Matthew and Luke drew a lot of their material from Mark, whether there was another source, but but they feel the same. They're, They're noticeably similar in lots of ways. Similar sorts of language, uh, similar, similar themes, uh, but John's gospel is very, very different. It just feels different when you read it. Uh, it has lots of different material that's in none of the other gospels, and lots of stuff that's in the other gospels isn't found in John's gospel. So for instance, there are no parables in John's gospel. Lots and lots of parables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, particularly Matthew and Luke. But, but, not in, but not in John's Gospel. And John also has a very different sort of vocabulary. Uh, one example that, that we'll be coming back to later in the service. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God. The parables are all about the kingdom of God. A number of times he talks, the kingdom of God is among you. He teaches his disciples to pray, your kingdom come. Whereas in John, the focus is more on the phrase eternal life. John barely mentions the kingdom of God. But he talks a lot about life or about eternal life. So very, very, very different books. And when we come to the letters, John, again, John feels very different to the letters that Paul wrote. Remember we had a series, uh, was it the end of last year now? can't be that long ago, looking at the life of Paul and looking at numbers of his letters. Reading John feels very different to reading Paul. And actually, one John, the book that we're about to look at, doesn't actually feel like a letter at all. You heard the beginning, there's no, no introduction, really. There's no from John writing to whoever. It just kind of launches straight in. As I, as I read one, John, it feels, it feels more like a sermon almost or a meditation looking at John's gospel, reflecting on John's gospel, clarifying, amplifying some of the main themes in John's gospel. I kind of imagine that, that John has written his gospel. Often when gospels were written, they were written to a particular community. They weren't and then they got circulated and they, they became known amongst the Christian community. I kind of get the impression that John has written this gospel and, his, uh, and the church has discussed it. And they kind of, we don't get this bit and we don't get that bit. And what does this mean and what does that mean? And, and John's kind of expanding it's much shorter, so it's not really expanding. John's kind of picking up some of the themes, maybe some of the questions that, that have come out from people who've read his gospel, and sort of teasing them out a bit and exploring them and maybe spelling out some of the implications. If you want to find out, I guess, how, how that works a little bit, maybe it's a bit of homework for you. Maybe when you get home, print out the beginning of John's gospel, maybe verses 1 to 14 of chapter 1. And verses one to five of one John, put them side by side and just notice the similarities. Notice the common words. Notice the common themes. Uh, as, as we go, I'm going to do that a little bit as we as we work through today. But just do that. I think you'll be surprised how similar, similar they are. Uh, but before we do that, uh, and uh, I guess launch us in, maybe the best one line summary of John's gospel actually comes from a very surprising source. Maybe it's not, a very, it's not a perfect summary. You'll never get a perfect summary of a, of a whole gospel in one line. But actually, this feels pretty good, and this feeds into today's sermon. So here you go. Life and light to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. If you want a one-line summary of John's gospel, I think that actually takes a lot of beating. Life and light all he brings, risen with healing in his rings. And you want to know where that comes from? Herald angels sing, yeah, of course. Uh, And I'm going to get get through this morning verses 1 to 4. Verse 5 is actually in Charlie's section next week. Uh, But verse 5 picks up on that theme, if you remember the reading, about light. And again, if you read John's Gospel, light is a theme that comes up again and again. So life in verses 1 to 4, and then verse 5. He moves on to light. So let's look at... I'm going to do something we don't know we do. I'm going to work through this verse by verse. Uh, So this is verse 1. We declare to you that which was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. And this is John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory. So something about the beginning, something about seeing, something about the Word living among us, and we experienced it. But 1 John 1 verse 1. I I heard somebody once say that uh, if you take the original... These words were originally written in Greek. If you take the original Greek grammar that's used in these words, somebody commented to describe it, it's like a bit of a train wreck. The, the tenses are all mixed up and jumbled up. Words are in the wrong order. It's, it's a nightmare, apparently, to, to translate because it's just the words are not where they're meant to be. Uh, it's as if John is trying to explain something that actually language can't explain. Something that is almost beyond words. I guess we've all had that. How, how would you... Just, those, those of us who've fallen in love... How, Trying to find words that express what we're feeling, what we've experienced. Words just won't do sometimes, will they? Words, words are just too much. And one of my tutors used to say, this is not an everyday tale of country folk. I, was, I always love that phrase. And uh, when we talk about God, we're not talking about an ordinary tale of country folk. Uh, Emma Raducanu winning Wimbledon as an 18-year-old qualifier. It's, it's unprecedented, unbelievable even. One of the things I got listening to the press coverage and watching it is people couldn't quite believe what they were seeing. This, is, this has not happened before and it will probably never happen again and we're not quite sure. You can see her reaction when she won. Not quite sure how to, what, how to make sense of this all. Well, this is on another scale. John is talking about something that has never happened before and won't happen again. Something that is off the scale, another order of magnitude. How do you find words to express the reality of what happened in Jesus? God taking on our human flesh. How do you you even begin to describe what that means and how that works? And yet, John writes, this is something that we have heard, something we've seen, something that we have touched. These are words of direct experience, not abstract thought. This, says John, is something we have lived and known and experienced. That's what we're telling you about. Concerning the word of life, concerning Jesus. Christianity is not a mere philosophy. It is not an idea. It is not my opinion. It is not a theory about God, the universe, and everything. Christianity is rooted in the conviction that in Jesus, in the person who lived among us, who shared our humanity, who taught real people, Who healed real people. Who looked with compassion at the broken. Who got angry with those who used their power to put people down. That in Jesus, God has come among us. The word has become flesh, pitched his tent with us. That's literally what that that part of John's gospel means. That Jesus, that God has taken on our human flesh. In this man, Jesus, who was born of Mary, who died, who rose again, and who is ascended into heaven. We have not just learnt about God. We have not just seen what God is like, but we have met with the living God. We have been embraced by God. We have been saved by God. We have been given a share in the life of God. That's what Christianity is all about. And says John, we have seen it and we have heard it and we have touched it. Isn't that just the best thing ever? Just the most amazing thing ever. Incidentally, I've always always thought that these words in one one John John 1 is about about what we call the incarnation. The posh name, if you like. The name Theologians have to give everything a posh name. For God taking on our human life, God becoming flesh, God living among us. And I've always thought the one John was primarily about that. But, but actually, as I've, I've studied this week, I've begun to wonder whether what John really has in mind in his letter is the resurrection. Not just the life of Jesus, but, but the resurrection. I found this wonderful quote from a guy called Didymus the Blind. Didymus the Blind lived from 313 to 398. So, yeah, 1,700 years ago. Didymus. I love that name. We need more Didymuses now. Uh, I'm, too young to ha- I'm too old now to have kids, but that's up to some of you younger ones. You need, you need, we need a Didymus. <laughs> Jess has given me that look to say, you silly man. <laughs> I didn't put it down here. Anyway, I'm going to read it to you. Many think these words he's talking about at the start of John's Gospel apply to the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Say that John is speaking of himself and the other disciples who first of all heard that the Lord is risen and afterwards saw him with their own eyes to the point where they touched his feet, his hands, his side and felt the imprints of his nails. Maybe these words are meant to remind us of Thomas that we heard about at the beginning. That actually we're not just talking about Jesus who lived and died but Jesus who rose again whose life was unstoppable even by death itself, who rose again from triumphant. About a kind of life that transcends, if you like, death itself. We have heard, we have seen, we have touched the risen Christ, John says, and on this we depend. This life, he says, was revealed And we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. And in John 1, in him was life and that life was the light of all people, life and light to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. I desperately wanted to call this section it's life, Jim, but not as we know it. Uh, good old, you never get enough, Mr. Spock, can you? Uh, uh, but Sarah told me it probably wasn't appropriate. But anyway, it's there. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Snuck that one in. <laughs> uh, rather confusingly, the Greek language, the original language of the Bible, has three words for life. And they're all translated life. And yet, they mean different things. Uh, so, so, when you see the word "life" in the when you see the word "life" say in John's Gospel, it can mean more than one thing. Confusing? I'm confused. I'm a bear, a very small brain. So, uh, but anyway, the first word the first word is the word "bios." Uh, it's the word that we get biography from. Uh, it's only actually used very rarely in the in the New Testament, and it refers, in a sense, to your physical life. When we say I have a good life, a great marriage, kids, jobs, etc., life is good. Then we're talking about we're talking about our bios, our our physical life. Or when we say my life sucks, things are not going well. I hate my job. My health is not great. I've just fallen out with my best friend. Ten years are up, and uh, that's that's bios. That's the life we live, full of its ups and downs, the roller coaster of, of life that we all know that we all experience. And the second word is the word suke. Suke. Uh, sometimes translated life, actually, it's sometimes translated soul. Uh, and I guess this is more about your, your personality, your, your identity, your individuality, and the way that that is. Is lived out in the world. Your feelings, your desires, your priorities, your hopes, your fears. It's the Eunus, if you know what I mean. What makes you you? Uh, uh, does, that, does that make sense? So you've got your physical life with all its ups and downs, and then you've got the the, the real you, your your Eunus, your and then finally there is, yeah, Zoe, Ionius. Aionius. I, can't my translate. I can't pronounce English words properly, let alone Greek words. Zoe Aeonius. Uh, that's the phrase that is often translated eternal life. That's the phrase that is translated eternal life. Sometimes it appears without the aeonius bit, and it's just translated life, but it's the same thing. So here's John 12, verse 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. I could have a quiz here and ask you which life that John is referring to, but I'll, I'll show you. So anyone who loves their suke will lose it, while anyone who hates their suke in this world will keep it for Zoe Ionius. Make sense? <laughs> Clear as mud. Uh, but Jesus is telling us to be careful how we relate to our, our suke life, how we relate to our eunice, if you like. He's telling us, if you like, not to get too caught up in me, in my wants, in my desires, in my priorities, in my opinions, but to hold these things lightly, as it were. Because there is another life that you really want to give priority to. You really want to take hold of, John says. That's or Jesus says. Eternal life. Zoe, Ionius. So what is eternal life? Or what does John Jesus mean by this term? Sometimes it's good to, to ask that question. Because we, we, kind of, we, we kind of assume words have got meanings. And we... We pick up stuff along the way and we just, we just make assumption. It's always good to maybe go back and say, well, what, what is that? What is eternal life? Maybe that seems an obvious question. An obvious, maybe you think, that, well, that's obvious, Andy. Well, let, well let's, let's see. Let's go back for a minute to that question, how, how old is God or how long does God last for that, for Josh? So conveniently asked earlier. Convenient, that wasn't it? Uh, you see, that's the wrong question to ask because somebody said it's a category error because God is eternal. God is simultaneously outside and inside and beyond time. God is, you have to take it that way and think about it. God is outside and inside and beyond time. Time, after all, is part of God's good creation. And although God enters in and we experience God in time, and God comes to us in time, God is still beyond, in a sense, time. And it's a bit metaphysical for me, but uh, I say words which I'm not sure I completely understand. But but God is beyond, beyond time, and God is eternal. And eternal life then is not about a quantity of time. It's not about a length of time where second follows second and minute follows minute and millennium follows millennium. It is not about quantity. It is about a particular type of life. Literally speaking, Zoe, Ionius means life of the age to come. Zoe, life, Ionius, is the age to come. Eons, I guess, aeons. It, it comes, comes, from that, comes from that root. Or we might say life in God's age. Remember earlier I said that Matthew, Mark, and Luke talk about the kingdom of God a lot and, and Jesus talks about eternal life. Well, in a sense, they're talking about pretty much the same thing. We speak about the kingdom of God, about that reality where God's will is done. That's basically, the kingdom of God is that reality. I don't want to say place, although it is a place where God's will is done. Something that is already, Jesus is already present here and now. It's present in Jesus, it's present in people come to know God and do his will. Something we experience now, but we know that its fullness is yet to come. So eternal life is life with God, life lived with God, life lived in relationship with God. Something we experience now, but which also we long to experience in all its completeness. All its fullness, all its wholeness—something we get, if you like, get glimpses of now. But actually, we still spoil it and we mess it up, and we turn our back on it, and we don't understand it, and, and we long for for that time when we will see God face to face and we will love Him perfectly. So it's something we experience now, but but not all of it. There is more to come. Eternal life is not just about being with God after we die, although that is part of it. It is about living with God now. Living a life with God now that not even death can take away. Living the age to come now. Experiencing the age to come in the presence so that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven and I'm struggling for words because it blows my mind. Just to try and get my mind around it. But do you get where I'm, do you get where I'm coming from? Please not. <laughs> and John writes, we declare to you what we've seen and heard so that, you may also, so that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship. Fellowship. What John is saying is that this eternal life, this life that we experience now as a foretaste of what is to come when God's kingdom comes in all its fullness, that this life is relational. It is about fellowship, it is about shared lives. Fellowship, firstly, with God the Father and His Son through Jesus Christ. Father and His Son, sorry, through the Spirit. But also fellowship with one another. Richard Foster calls this the with God life. He says this is the life that we were created for. There is something about being made in the image of God. That means that we are hardwired with this longing to be truly known and accepted. You know that? that? That longing to be truly known as we are, to be accepted, to belong. To belong in a community. To be safe. To be loved with dignity. And to be able to love in return to love God and to express that love of God in our relationships. Deep down in us, there is that, that deep longing. We were made by love, in love, and to love. One author, a guy called Daryl Johnson, put it like this. At the center of the universe is intimacy. A deep, abiding, tender, affectionate belonging which we are invited to participate in and cooperate in. Amen to that, yes? Amen to that. At the heart, at the center of the universe, at the, cent- the central reality that-, that holds the universe together, if you like, is it that deep, abiding, tender, affectionate belonging that we all long for deep down and which God in his grace invites us to be a part of and to cooperate in. I, just, I, I love that quote. <laughs> Absolutely love that quote. Uh, and in a sense, that's what church is all about. From these lofty statements to that, that's what, that's, that's what our life together is all about. It is here together in a sense that we experience God's love. As we worship together, singing together, praying together, opening our hearts to God, receiving from God, gathering around the words together to learn, to study, to grow. As we share bread and wine together and remember Jesus death Jesus resurrection and as we share tea and coffee together and talk about our lives and share lives together and maybe even pray together as we work together as as we witness together rooting ourselves together in the love of the risen christ that's 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 church at its best that's what we aspire to in a sense, not a club. Not simply somewhere we come on a Sunday just to worship God and then go home and put it back in a box. It's easy easy to do that. I, I've been there, I bet most of us have uh, at points in our lives. Or an hour on the an hour on the screen, and then at the end of the hour we, we, we turn the we turn the stream off and and that's it. It is in this community on Sunday, gathered and scattered. (laughs) Is that a hint? (laughs) Sarah told me not to hurry. (laughs) It is in this community on a Sunday where we share and reflect on our experience of Jesus Christ. Where we encourage each other to dwell more deeply in God's love. To live that with God life. It is here that our love for God and for each other is nurtured and fanned. And it is from here that we go out to share that love with the world. How do we measure a life? How do we measure our life? Is it by the number of trophies that we've won? Is it by our achievements? Or is it it by something else? Is it by the question, have I loved And maybe is it by the question that comes before that. Have I allowed God's love to permeate my thick skin and shape my heart and my head and my will and my suke and my bios? God's will for us to quote Dallas Willard, the author, is simply that we should live in him, that we should dwell in the love that has made us And that actually loves us far more than we can ever love ourselves. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. As a pastor, as a preacher, I get joy from seeing people grow in faith and understanding growing in knowledge, growing in love, growing in service of Jesus Christ. I get, I get John at this point completely. I get joy from being part of that. I get joy from seeing this church thrive and grow, of seeing relationships healed, of seeing new relationships form, of seeing people encourage each other and care for each other and love each other and stand with each other in hard times and support each other. I get joy when I see that happening. I get joy with sharing with you. That's why I was up at stupid o'clock last night trying to get all this stuff together. So that in some way you may grow in faith or come to faith even for the first time. So that you may know the joy and the life that Jesus brings. So that you may know the faith that makes sense of our human experience the life that brings fulfillment and purpose, the life that brings joy, the life that is Jesus' gift to each one of us and to us as a community, the life that is a gift of grace that we participate in and that we share, life and light to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Amen? Amen. Amen.